right, well, if you want to grab your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to the book of Hebrews. We'll be in the book of Hebrews today, Hebrews chapter 11. Well, welcome to Jacksonville Presbyterian Church. Uh, my name's Matt. Um, I get the privilege of being able to uh, uh, teach here today. Um, we have only a little over a chapter to cover today, so would you be willing to stand uh, and give a... Um, uh, and be willing to stand for the reading of God's word. Uh, we'll be he- reading from Hebrews chapter 11, uh, 1195 in those blue hardback Bibles. If you don't have one of those, if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. Go ahead and take that home with you today. All right, Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse one. Hear God's holy and inerrant word to you today. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. Verse six. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. Verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Verse 39. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Verse 12, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight, and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. All scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for training in righteousness, that the messenger of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, This is the word of the Lord. All right, go ahead and take a seat and keep those Bibles open as we pray today. God, thank you for your grace and your mercy towards us. Thank you that we can know you and walk with you, that you make such a difference in our lives. Be with us today to hear from you through your word, by your spirit. Help our hearts to be receptive to what you're teaching us today. Help us open our ears to your truth as taught to us through your word. We pray all this and more in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, are there any of you here in the room today that are runners? Any any high schoolers out there who enjoy running? Well, what kind of running do you do? Do you like to run marathons or do Spartan races or... How about the Tough mutter? Now, I don't know if anyone knows this about me. Well, except maybe my wife. Uh, but I used to enjoy running. I wasn't a marathon runner um, or a Spartan race kind of guy. But I used to run up and down mountains, like the Rocky Mountains. Uh, I used to live in Colorado a number of years back, and I would enjoy running uh, these mountainous trails where I used to live. <laughs> now, I know what some of you are thinking right now. That sounds like a terrible hobby. And you're right, it was a terrible hobby. 
Um, after I'd go for a run, I would come back to the house and would sometimes be in some serious pain. Uh, like there'd be leg cramps and body aches. Uh, if I ran in the cold, uh, it would be hard to breathe afterwards. I mean, why would I put myself through that kind of pain and torture? Well, that's a good question. Uh, but for me, it was my hope that running would be a healthy impact on my body. Um, I knew some people who were running in these Colorado mountains, and they were healthy and fit, and I wasn't. So I was hoping that this whole running thing would get me into shape and that, I would, that my health would benefit by it. In the moment, it's like it, it didn't feel good to come back home and be in such pain, but I knew that the pain that I was experiencing by running these mountainous trails would have the potential to pay itself off in the end. It's like I, I hated it in the moment, but whenever I'd get back home, I would feel like it was worth it. Can you think of any other examples in life where something might be painful in the moment, but it ends up being worth it in the end? Well, I can think of one right now. Uh, my wife is about to have another baby, and I don't know if any of you have witnessed someone giving childbirth before, but talk about pain, but it being totally worth it in the end. Now, I'd really love to spend some quality time diving into every st uh, story of faith from Hebrews chapter 11, uh, but time doesn't allow me that today. Uh, so what my goal will be today is to tease out three elements that are embedded within Hebrews chapter 11 and then into the beginning of chapter 12. So here's my outline today. Three, three points. Stories of faith. What is faith? Enduring faith. Stories of faith, what is faith, enduring faith. Well, for these Jewish Christians reading the letter that we now call the book of Hebrews, they were being persecuted for their faith in Messiah Jesus and were being spurred along by the author to hold fast to their faith in him. They were being tempted to leave the faith. And it honestly would have been easier for them to let go of faith in Messiah than to be persecuted for bearing the name Christian. And in this 11th chapter of Hebrews, the author is recounting the stories of many Old Faithful, uh, or many Old Testament saints from, that this audience would have been familiar with, people like Noah and Abraham and Moses and David. And the author commended these faithful men and women for trusting in God's promises before ever receiving them. Look with me at chapter 11, verse 39. And all these, the Old Testament saints, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Now, the last part of this verse may have been a little confusing. Just go ahead and email Dustin on that one. Uh, but what I wanted to focus on was the author commending these Old Testament saints for their faith in God's promises before ever receiving them. And as we'll see later, the Old Testament saints' faith in God's promises was demonstrated with observable action. Their true faith in God radiated out of their lives, and it was perceivable to the outside world. 
Now, in antiquity, it was common practice to compose a list of individuals who had gone before them to bring the community together and to unify them in solidarity as they headed towards a common goal. And we see this happening in Hebrews chapter 11. And these Christians were being encouraged to hold fast to the faith by connecting the saints of the Old Testament to their faith in faith by what God said in his promises. And in hope of receiving, God, uh, in receiving God's promises, the author was looking to encourage the listener to endure the persecution they were experiencing, just like the Old Testament saints had endured. Now, how many of you here today, you grew up going to church, you heard these stories from the Old Testament, you know, people like Noah, and Abraham, Moses, and David, you heard these stories growing up. Well, how about you here today who didn't grow up going to church? You didn't hear all these stories. Uh, well, for me, uh, I was one of those who didn't grow up going to church. Um, I didn't hear about these stories until later on in life as I started studying scripture on my own. And for those who don't know me or my story, uh, I didn't come to faith until later on in life. Uh, whenever I first came to faith in Christ, uh, I recognized that there was a God who created the universe and that I was enslaved to my sinful desires and that God now forgives me of my sin through faith in Christ. Now, I didn't grow up uh, a Christian, so I, I, didn't really, I didn't really have much, but what I did know is that I could be saved from my enslavement to sin. I was addicted to smoking weed. Um, I couldn't stop. And no matter how hard I tried, um, and then I became depressed because I couldn't stop. And it was just a cycle. And I had like no hope of being able to get out of this pattern of addiction. And that's what drove me to Christ. But for many years after I professed faith in Christ, I was still living like the world while also saying I was a Christian. And my life didn't look any different than any of my other friends who weren't even calling themselves a Christian. Uh, and during this season of life, the damage was being done not only to me, uh, but also to those who were closest to me. And after all that damage had been done to those around me, I had this like epiphany or like an awareness that the Lord was like calling me to follow him intentionally because I was literally watching God's word of death and destruction play itself out in my life. My life smelled of death and decay as I walked around this earth. And there came to a point where I felt like the Lord was calling me to have greater faith in what he said to be true and to trust him. I felt God was calling me to either live like the world and trust the world's values or put my faith in him and trust him. And I need to make that decision. I had seen so much death and destruction in my life that I honestly felt as though it would have been, I had no other choice than to put my faith in what he said to be true. Now, what about you? Where are you at in your faith journey? We all have a story. Now, your story may be one of skepticism 
Or maybe you outright reject what God says to be true, yet it's still a story, nevertheless. And your story isn't over yet. Okay, so far we've talked about stories of faith, but now I wanted to spend some time talking about what faith is. So what exactly is faith? Well, I'm glad that you asked because that happens to be right here in my notes. Um, Faith is one of the most foundational concepts of how humans fellowship with the God of the Bible. So I thought we'd talk about it in detail because this is the main topic discussed in Hebrews chapter 11. Now, faith is described by the biblical authors throughout the Old and New Testament from different perspectives, and it has different angles to it. You know, faith can be compared to like a multifaceted jewel uh, where each facet reveals like a new perspective, providing for us a complete picture of the jewel itself. And like the multifaceted jewel, we can study the concept of faith collectively from the different, different biblical authors to come up with the biblical understanding of faith. Now, since Hebrews chapter 11 doesn't provide us with a complete scope of how all the biblical authors describe faith, it does give us a good working description. So look down with me at chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, in this verse, you'll notice that there are two very close two very closely tied statements describing what faith is, but it's describing the the very same idea. The word that's translated assurance has a connotation of substance to it. In fact, the new King James translation actually does translate this word as substance. This word also shows up in chapter one, whenever it's describing Jesus as being the Um, the exact imprint of God's nature or substance, God's substance. It's the same word. But whichever way this word is rendered by the biblical translators, it seems to be that faith, according to the book of Hebrews, has a type of substance to it. It's recognizable. Now, the word translated conviction is rendered in other translations as evidence or assurance. The promises of God cannot be seen with the eyes, but are held to be true as though they really do exist. And combining these two statements describing what faith is, it seems to be that the author is saying that faith in God and his promises are something that cannot be seen with the eyes, but are held to be true as though they really do exist. And as we'll see later, observable action is then demonstrated by the individual who believes God at his promises. Now, can faith really be considered a substance from verse one? Well, that's a good question because faith is a spiritual fruit and cannot be grasped with the hand. You know what the fruit of the spirit is, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness. So if faith is a spiritual fruit and cannot be grasped with the hand, then it's not made of material substance, right? 
Well, what about patience? Is patience made of material substance? Can you grasp a hold of patience with your hand? Well, of course you can. But you sure can tell when somebody has it, right? Faith, like patience, is not made of material substance and cannot be grasped with the hand. But you sure can tell if somebody has it, though, by the way they live their life. Look with me at chapter 11, starting in verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Let's continue at verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham sure displayed radical faith in God when he took up Isaac to Mount Moriah. He took God at his word concerning the promises that were made to him, and then he did something with it. His faith had substance. What kind of faith leads a person to such drastic action as taking his son up to the mountainside to be sacrificed? Abraham embodied his faith in God. It was perceivable. His faith in God could be seen by his actions as imperfect as it was. What about you? Do you trust what God says to be true? James, the half-brother of Jesus, describes faith this way. And he didn't think we were going to be able to get out of a sermon on faith without a reference to James chapter 2, did you? James chapter 2, verse 20 says this. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. In verse 26. For, apart, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also, so also faith apart from works is dead. Look right up at me. What you believe about God in your heart is reflected by the way you live your life. What you believe about God in your heart, in your inside, in your core, becomes exposed by the way you live your life. You know the old saying, right? Actions speak louder than words. What you and I do with our lives is a litmus test as to what we actually believe about God. Now, I need to make a qualifier here because I I don't want you to leave confused by what I'm saying. I don't want you to hear me say that your your good deeds, your uh, moral upright behavior, your church attendance, your Bible reading, all these things, uh, they are not what justify you before God. They They do not. But I think what the Bible is portraying about true faith in God 
is that it radiates out of an individual. It comes out in a person's thoughts and words and actions in life. True faith in God is expressed. It's embodied. It can be seen by others around us. Jesus said it like this in many different ways. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, how you and I live our lives, it's a reflection of what we truly believe about God in our hearts. It's observable, it's recognizable, and it has substance. How you and I use our time and talent and treasure reflects what we truly believe about God. Now, are you going to nail it like every single time? Of course you won't. I'm going to step out on a limb and say, you can't even live up to your own standards, let alone God's. You won't be able to love God and love your neighbor as yourself 100% of the time. But, but for the Christian, they have a desire, a hunger in them to love God and to please him. And this desire to trust and believe what God says to be true is expressed by the way they live their lives. Faith becomes embodied by the individual who trusts God at his word, just like someone who demonstrates patience. You can tell when someone has it. All right. Now we've talked about stories of faith and we've talked about uh, what faith is, that faith is observable in a person's life. It has substance. Faith radiates out of an individual's life, which leads me to my third and final point, enduring faith. Now, are the people in chapter 11 meant to be examples for us for enduring faith? People like Noah and Abraham, Moses and David, were they meant to be our examples? Well, I think in some ways they could be examples for us, but I think that the thrust from the author is pointing us to Christ. Remember, this book was like a sermon that was meant to be read out loud. And the list of individuals was meant to bring the group together in solidarity towards a common goal. And there were no chapter breaks in the original text. So what was the common goal that this author was encouraging these Christians towards? Well, look back, look at chapter 12, verse one with me. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now there are a couple repeated phrases in this passage but did anyone pick up on a word that was being repeated? I'll give you a hint. It shows up in verse three as well. Does anyone see it? That's right. It's the word endure. Now what is implied with the word endure? Do we endure things that we enjoy? Enduring something implies that there is something that is in need of being endured. And what was it that these Christians were needing to endure? We'll have to go to last week's text in chapter 10, at the end of the chapter, starting in verse 32. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, 
you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. These Christians were enduring the type of suffering that included being beaten and being mocked for their faith. They experienced affliction. They were being put in prison. Their property had been plundered because they were relating with other Christians. So who was the author of Hebrews pointing to as the exemplary of the one who endured to the end and persevered by faith in God? That's right. Jesus. Now, why did Jesus endure to the end? Well, because it was the joy that was set before him. Well, what joy was it? The joy was to give sinful man the ability to draw near to God without having to go to a priest or make animal sacrifices. The joy was to make an atoning sacrifice once and for all. So sinful man would be able to draw near to God. Now, was it easy? Well, no. I mean, Dr. Luke said in his gospel that Jesus sweat drops of blood before going to the cross. You ever sweat sweat drops of blood before? It was hard, but he endured even to the end. The scriptures never teach us that following Jesus is going to be an easy venture, uh, but rather what they do tell us is that enduring to the end is worth it. It's worth it. There's greater good to be found in our suffering while we have this time on earth. And if we believe that earth is our home, we're going to be disappointed when hard things come our way. But, but if we seek a heavenly kingdom with Christ as king, we wait with eagerness at his coming and we live in light of what, of what he said to be true. Now, can I ask you a question? Uh, what saves you? What saves you? Is it being a good person? Is it following the commands of scripture? How about faith? Does faith save you? I would argue that faith is not the item that saves you. Now, I know before, uh, before you start flipping tables and you run me out of here, uh, I know this could, call, could cause some confusion. So if you give me just a minute, I'd, if you might be willing to give me just a moment to allow me to finish my thought. Faith is not what saves you. It is Jesus who saves you by means of faith. Jesus saves you by means of faith, but faith in and of itself does not save you. Faith is a filthy rag apart from the work of Christ on the cross. Faith must have an object that it's directed towards for faith to be faith. Otherwise, faith is just an intellectual agreement to a proposition. It's faith in your faith. And an intellectual agreement to a proposition does not save. Christ does. Do you see that? The late R.C. Sproul said it this way. We are not saved by believing in the doctrine of justification by faith alone. We're saved through trusting in Christ himself. So in Christianity, 
what, or better yet, who is the object of our faith? It is Jesus who saves. It is he who frees us from the power of sin. It is he who brings us from death to life. He saves us from ourselves. And if he is the object of our faith, over time, we will start to trust him more and more and more. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we'll start to look more and more like him. He will start to change our hearts from the inside as we continue to trust him more and more. Jesus trusted the father 100% of the time. And his example helps us to see what faithfulness to God looks like from a human perspective. And he's not only our example of faithfulness to God, but he is also our high priest from chapter four. He's not, also, not only our high priest from chapter four, but he's also our atoning sacrifice from chapter two. And he's not only our atoning sacrifice, but he's also our mediator from chapter nine. And he's not only our mediator, but he's also our perfecter or consummator of our faith from chapter 12. But if you can't tell, Jesus is our everything. He is the object of our faith and he is the judge. And he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Faith does not save us. It is Christ who saves us by means of faith in him and the work that he's done for us on the cross. And in exchange for our allegiance or faith in him, he provides us with his Holy Spirit to help us live out of a heart of obedience, follow his divine commands, and in the end receive eternal life where death has no sting. In closing, um, for those of you here in the room today who happen to be skeptics, or you'd say that you're an unbeliever, it wasn't by coincidence that you happen to be here today. The good news is that, that the one who made the universe and all that is in it has made a way for you, and look right up at me, yes, you, to be in right relationship with God. I implore you on Christ's behalf, repent of your sin and be reconciled to God. Turn from your sin, look to Christ who can set you free. Your sin and your lack of ability to live up to his holy standards is something you cannot achieve. Be honest with yourself. Can you even uphold the standards you've made for yourself? And if there is a God who is perfectly righteous and perfectly holy and all-knowing, would you be able to live up to this God's standards? I hope you're honest enough with yourself to say you can't. My invitation to you today is to be reconciled to your creator and accept that you're a sinner in need of God's grace. Turn to him by trusting in Christ to save yourself. And if you're not ready to lay down your yes, stick around. We would love to get to know you and to hear your story and keep digging. Your story is not over yet. Pray to the God that you do not believe in and ask him to reveal himself to you in a meaningful and tangible way. And Christian, it's only possible for us to endure to the end if we have set our gaze upon Christ for our salvation and trust him at his promises. Jesus is the object of our faith 
and he's our heart's affections. They reflect what we genuinely believe about God. And if your faith in Christ is being tested, it has to be your hope in God and the promises that he's given to us to endure to the end. Our hope is eagerly waiting for Christ's return where he will make all the wrongs right. He will usher us into a new heaven and a new earth. And for those who are currently enduring, enduring the challenges of living in this sin-cursed world, continue to look to Jesus and run the race that is set before you. Because the cross, that was, because the cross was the joy that was set before Jesus to bring you to God. And if life was only about pleasure and comfort, then we would never do anything that brings us pain, like running up and down mountains or running Spartan races. The reason why we endure hard things is not because it's easy, but because it's worth it in the end. Well, let's pray. God, thank you that you have made a way for us to come to know you. I pray for my family in Christ here today that they would come to love you more and more upon leaving this place. I pray that we would walk by the spirit and keep in step with the spirit. I pray that you would use your spirit to help us love you more and grow into the image of Christ. God, I pray that we would embrace suffering well as we grow more towards Christ likeness, set apart for the good works you prepared beforehand. Help us endure the difficulties of living in this already but not yet reality in which we find ourselves today as we hunger and thirst for righteousness. I also pray for anyone here today who might be skeptical of you, that you would reveal yourself more to them, that they would be willing to be open to the possibility that there is that time, space, and matter was created by you, that they would set aside their presuppositions and take the evidence the universe shows us and consider the possibility of the supernatural. I know they were not here by accident. Lord, have mercy on us. Come quickly. Amen.